Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke, chapters 1 and 2, titled, Christmas Weirdness. Good morning. We're going to be in Luke, chapter 1. And uh, I've titled uh, the message this morning, uh, Christmas Weirdness. It's, it's weird for me to be preaching on a Christmas. In fact, I don't think uh, in the almost 30 years I've been a pastor that I have preached on Christmas morning. Uh, there's been Christmas mornings that happened on Sunday. They happen every seven years. I know the last seven seven years ago, I was not here. Pastor Greg preached in my place, my associate pastor, for those who don't know him. Uh, in the previous seven, 14 years, I don't know what I was doing. I was somewhere. I don't know. I don't remember preaching any other Christmas Sunday than this. So, uh, so it's weird for me, but it's not for that reason that I've named this Christmas weirdness. I've actually named this Christmas weirdness because I wanted to point out to us the enormity of if you will, weird things that happened in and around the birth of Christ. And uh, for the sake of definition, uh, let me define what I, what I think of when I think of weird. I know what definition uh, Webster gives us, but I tend to be a little on the redneck side of things. And so when I think of weird, I think of, for instance, not right weird. How you feel it? I don't know, a little weird. That, that kind of weird. Or, or uh, the awkward weird, experience something awkward, and then you immediately say, well, that was weird. That kind of weird I'm going to be focusing on. Uh, or a strange weird, like, you know my cousin, right? He's a little weird, but he's a nice guy. That kind of weird. Or the incredible weird, probably more than that than anything else. Wow, that was so weird. We're going to be looking at all that today, the weirdness that surrounds the birth of Christ. We're going to be making our way through Luke chapter 1, parts of it, Luke chapter 2, and uh, being looking at all these things. Of course, the, the most obvious part of the story of the birth of Christ is a weird pregnancy. And uh, I don't think I need to school you, maybe I do, on the fact that he was virgin born. Uh, we've talked about that together, but I, I want us to back up to, to a previous weird pregnancy that happened uh, just six months before, uh, before Mary's. Uh, Luke chapter 1, uh, you have the story of, of a lady by the name of Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah. Elizabeth and Zachariah have not been able to have a child. They're in their 60s or 70s. Anybody here in their age 60s to 70s? Come on. We love you. We love you. God has a purpose for you. But you better hope it's not what Zacharias and Elizabeth had. Because they found out six months before Christmas, or actually uh, uh, within the year of the first Christmas, that they were going to have a baby. So now, I don't know if weird would be the word you would use for it, but that is definitely weird. They found out that they were going to have a child. And of course, if you know the story of Zechariah going to the temple and, and being told by the angel, and he couldn't believe it. He says, how is it possible since we're, like I said, he didn't say the age, but you're talking late 60s probably. How is it possible that my wife's going to be pregnant and I would be a father? Well, only by the power of God. And so you have this very weird pregnancy. Of course, you can hear Mary's voice, and we've already read it, but look at verse 34 of Luke uh, chapter 1. She says, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How weird is that? It's really weird. There are so many weird things that surround uh, the story of the birth of Christ. But, but I want to take these two pregnancies, the, the pregnancy of Elizabeth and the pregnancy of Mary, 
and put them together because that's what the scriptures do back in, if you continue there in chapter 1, verses 39 uh, through 41. So, so Mary found, finds out that her aged cousin is pregnant, and she's just had an interview with an angel that says now she's pregnant. And so she travels to uh, the hill country, and she goes to uh, see her cousin because she wants to celebrate with her, and she spends the final three, three months of her, uh, of her pregnancy there until John is born. We pick up the story, though, in verse 39, and it'll tell me this isn't weird. It says, Now as this, at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth, and it came about when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, her baby, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I would submit to you this is super weird. Super weird. I have a couple of things going on here. Number one, Jesus is recognized as the Messiah. How long has she been pregnant? About a week. How big are babies at a week? You know, into your pinky? So, so the Messiah... Is this big? And, and by the way, he's not waiting to become Messiah. He already is. Now talk about a statement about when does conception and when, when does life begin and when, when, it is a, when is it a human. I mean, wow, what a statement. But not only do we have a statement being Jesus being recognized as Messiah, who's recognizing him? Another baby in utero, right? Now he's six months, but he's still inside his mom. So I've got one unborn child. Recognizing another one child. By the way, the one, the one is being recognized as Messiah, and the one that's recognized him is a prophet, and he's a prophet before he's ever born. And the other one's a Messiah before he's ever born. That is weird. That is super weird. I can't think of anything more weird than that, although we're going to be seeing some things here as we continue in our story. So, so we have a weird pregnancy, and of course... We we have a, a, a weird baby, this virgin-born child there in chapter 2, uh, verse 7. Uh, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end, right? You know the story. This is, uh, he, he's virgin-born. That's weird. Know anybody like that? Not but one. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. Know anybody like that? That is weird. Not just a representative of God, he is God. 100%. Little tiny baby. So, so here, catch the weirdness. The Lord of immensity, of infinity, of omnipresence, of omnipotence, confines himself to a human body less than 24 inches, less than 10 pounds. That is weird. That is so weird. That is so weird. Never, never again, never before has that ever happened. And then not only do we have a weird pregnancy and a weird baby, we also have a very weird location. Bethlehem? We romanticize these things. Bethlehem. Anybody here from a town less than 200? Anybody? You are? Welcome to a bigger town. Not that many people here. More people in this room than where you're from, right? Well, guess what? That's Bethlehem. Anybody been to Bethlehem? I've been to Bethlehem many times. And the modern-day Bethlehem has nothing to do other than location with the ancient Bethlehem. Bethlehem was nothing. A backwater community, not on a road to anything. Nobody went there. 
It is a rural community, a agrarian. Uh, it's a city of or town, I should say, of shepherds and farmers and nothing else. And nobody goes there. So the event of them having to travel to pay their taxes would have been maybe the biggest thing that's happened in Bethlehem for uh, ages, maybe ever. Uh, Bethlehem was just this tiny little backwater community, maybe 250, 300 people. And uh, so small, though. Why, have you ever thought about it? Why do the shepherds not have a problem finding Mary and Joseph? There's not that many places for them to be. The little town of 200, I mean, they say, so if they say, so your last name, everybody knows where you live. Everybody knows your business. We lived in a little town of about 200, 300 people before, where I was a pastor before. And if somebody drove into town with a new car, you felt offended. Like, why didn't they tell us? Got a new car park in their parking lot. Every, we were all in their business, you know, and they were all in ours. So that's just the way it is. Everybody knew everybody's business until it came to this whole issue of taxation. But, but what a community. What a place. It's not a terrible place. When, when you're God and you literally have all the options, why would you pick a place like this? Super weird. It's super weird. I mean, you just think about it. As, as the site where people are first going to witness the eternal union between God and man. Bethlehem. Of all the places on the planet. Not on the way to nothing. Not known other than the city of David. Not known for absolutely anything. Where God would become inseparably united with his creation. Bethlehem. To choose Bethlehem as the spot where you would launch your plan of eternal redemption? Is that what you would have done? Super weird, isn't it? It's super weird. Weird, weird city, weird town, weird spot for labor and delivery. I hear stories of people, you know, we had our child in the car, we had our child in, I don't know, you had your child out in the field somewhere? Because this lady did. The Romans require the world to be taxed, and of course the Jews require them, the Romans don't care. They just need their money. And so they have to have a census, and the, the Jews, because they're very clan and, and uh, tribe-oriented, they had to go back to their regular clan, original clan city or, or origin. And of course, the descendants of David go back to this little bitty town of Bethlehem. Of course, when David's born in Bethlehem, David is one of maybe five or six families that live in the whole place. Nobody else lives there. Up until the time of this taxation, nobody lives there. But you understand, David becomes a king. How many wives does he have? I think he has four or five. And he has a, a slew of kids. Then he has one of those kids is named Solomon. How many wives does he have? 500? How many kids does he have? No one knows, but he continues to have kids. So the line of David becomes, shall we say, very prolific. So by the time of the taxation, now Mary and Joseph, of course, are both of the tribe of David from two sides. And they're married. So how many other descendants of David are in existence? Possibly thousands. Maybe 10,000. So you've got a town back there on the back row of 200 and 10,000 people descend on it. What's that like? Oh boy! So you understand why there's no room in the inn? There's no room anywhere. There's hardly any ground to sleep on. You got 10,000 people having to show up for, let's say, a couple of weekends in order to get taxed, be registered for taxation. Wow, what that must have been like. This is a very small town uh, with very large descendants that would be coming to that place. No room in the inn. I mean, it goes without saying. Of course, we think of an inn as, you know, the holiday inn down here with three stories and a parking lot and a swimming pool, and that's not what they had. 
Again, you've got a town that's not on the way to anywhere. Why would you build some kind of structure to house people? Nobody travels there. You have a few people coming in every once in a while, relatives that come in and need places to stay. Well, more often than not, if, if you build anything, maybe three or four rooms. But most of the time, you had the original Airbnb. We've got a room in the back of the house. We'll let it out to you for how much you're willing to pay us. And so you've got maybe 15, 20 structures in the town, 20, 30 houses in the town, and they're all letting out every roof, every uh, uh, front yard, backyard, every room. And by the way, guess who soaks all those up the best ones? The ones taking the taxes. The Roman authorities and the authorities that work for the Jews. They're the ones, they've already come into town, Mary and Joseph traveling 90 miles from the middle of nowhere with no money, by the way. You think they're going to get one of these rooms? Really? Not a chance. If, if you can picture a town, like I said, of 200 that has 10,000 people descending on it, what do they, where do they sleep? Tents. Where did Mary and Joseph sleep? They're, they're bivouacked on a hill somewhere outside of Bethlehem. That's, that's what you need to picture uh, in your mind. That's, that's what you need to understand. And, and, and we say, I should say we assume, that Jesus was born in a stable. Why, why do you say that? Well, let me ask you the question. Don't, don't bother to look because I can save you the trouble. Why do we say he was born in a stable? Because it does not say that. We assume, we assume a lot of things about Christmas, you know, the three, three wise. We're going to talk about that next Sunday. Why do you say there's three when it doesn't say there's three? Why do you say he was born in a stable when it does not say he was born in a stable? It's going to bother you, right? Because I can't wait till I get done. So you're going to go home and I'm going to prove the pastor bill. It doesn't say it. I'll just save you the trouble. Read it. I read it again this morning. I was like, i got to make sure because I know these people, you know, there's a bunch of smart alecks out there. It doesn't say it. Read the book of Matthew. Read the book of Luke. It doesn't say he was born in a stable. We assume that he was born in a stable because he was laid in a manger. Stop saying manger, by the way, also, because it doesn't mean anything to you. Because not a one of you feed your animals in mangers. Do you any agrarian people here? No, you feed them in feed troughs. So stop saying manger because we romanticize these things. It doesn't mean anything to us anymore. If I say feed trough, all that means a lot. You raise with cows, raise with pigs. A feed trough? Why, why, why do we assume that he was born in a stable because he was laid in a feed trough? But they had feed troughs everywhere. You, we are, how many, it, I'm not going to ask if we don't have time, but we have farmers and ranchers, I'm sure, in this, in this room. Most of our feed troughs, at least in Texas, and by the way, it's about the same latitude and about the same climate as Texas over there in Bethlehem, and about the same altitude depending on where you are in Texas. Most of our feed troughs are outside. As you're driving back to wherever you're from, take a look. The feed troughs are outside. Albeit we have a few bad, bad days like this when it gets super cold, you move the feed trough inside. But most of the time, the feed troughs are on the outside. We know for a fact that Jesus wasn't born in the wintertime because the shepherds are in the field. So the feed troughs were not in any kind of stable so take that out of your heads. And could it have been? Yes. Traditionally, they say he was born in a cave. I know if you go over to Israel today and go to Bethlehem, you go underneath this church, several churches that are backed up into each other, and there's a cave down there, and there's a spot and a star on the floor that says where Jesus was born. And, you know, they're just guessing. Somebody had to pick a spot. And so they did. But I think it's unlikely that any place of any kind of shelter would have been available to a couple like this who travels out of the middle of nowhere and has no money. They brought a tent, they pulled up next to a feed trough, and bingo, she had a baby. 
That's what you're looking about. That's what you should be thinking about. Uh, again, I'm aware of the tradition, but, but God being God, he could have orchestrated any way imaginable, but he didn't. This is what he chose? Is this how you send your son into the world? That is super weird. That is super weird. And, of course, he's laid in a feed trough. Why? Because what, what, so animals eat at a feed trough. What else do they do at a feed trough? Yeah. Are you not raised around animals? Because what goes in has to come out, you know. So it's better than laying them on the floor or on the ground. This is a this is this is an inappropriate place. Let's just say to have a baby. The God of Heaven came down to Earth and landed in a feed trough. That is super weird. Super weird. And adding tremendous to this tremendous weirdness. Who is told about his birth? But Mary and Joseph didn't have to be told because they were there. Who was told? The shepherds. The shepherds? You, you can't imagine how unlikely these people are. Again, we've romanticized this story. We've turned it into a stable with a little star, nice hay. Uh, shepherds are awesome people. I'm not saying they're bad people, but they're extremely unlikely people. It, it would have made it would have been a lot less weird for instance, when God sends his one and only son into the world for his son's birth to be announced in the temple, which, by the way, is only six miles from there, or, or uh, to the priest in the Sanhedrin or to Herod's uh, palace down in Jericho, 15, 18 miles from there, or in Caesar's palace over in Rome just across the Mediterranean. Would have made sense. And then on the way, you know, we talk to the shepherds, you know, let's tell everybody kind of thing, but only the shepherds get told. That's really weird. It's really weird because of who they are. Shepherds weren't bad people. I want you to understand that. They're just extremely unlikely. See, shepherding is what you did when you could do nothing else. Either because you'd fallen on hard times, or in most cases because you had no education and you came from nobody, you had no, no bloodline to say, I need a better job. Then you became a shepherd. Uh, they were completely unskilled. They were the lowest paid jobs. They were not even allowed to testify in court because they were considered dim-witted. That's, they often were. Because if you were better-witted, you wouldn't have that job. Why would you tell only the shepherds? That's extremely weird. It's extremely Weird. Can you imagine? It's, let's let's uh, we've read part of their story. Let's let's read the the whole story. So so they're out sleeping on the side of a hill because it's not winter time. And look at what happens to them here. Look at verse verse uh, chapter two, verses nine through fifteen. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. I mean, you've ever been camping out? It's dark. And you may have I don't know Coleman stove or something like that going on. They didn't have any of that. They're just laying on the side of a hill on top of a bedroll, passing, you know, off into lullaby land. And all of a sudden, this happens. The angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. I would say that's an understatement. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Like that would help you. I just can't imagine how that would help me. For behold, I bring you good news for great joy, which is, shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there will be born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Never seen that before. That would be a weird sight. 
And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had come away, had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds began saying to one another, Wow, that was weird. That's not what they said, but I'm sure. Had they been from East Texas, they would have said that first. Let's go straight to Bethlehem then. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Wow, that was so weird. So born in obscurity, in a tiny little town, in some shelter, near a manger, to two poverty-stricken people attended by the least of the society, and that is where God of the universe decides to make his landing in terra firma. That is weird. So weird. The weirdest thing of the story, though, is, is not, in my opinion, that God would come to us. That's, it's, it's weird, but it's not the weirdest thing. It's what he comes to do to us. See, we're people who didn't want him. We talked about last night, if you were with us here. We're not only are the dark, we only not only in the dark, we are the darkness. We, we produce it. We wanted nothing to do with the creator of this universe, and we, as soon as they got a chance, we killed him, didn't we? The shocking thing, the weirdest thing of this story is what God came to do, which is not kill us. He came to save us. He, he came to become one of us so that he could rescue us. Because the souls of men and women had sinned against the Almighty God, and we were enemies of his permanently. By the way, in case you don't know, if you're a sinner, if you've ever broken God's laws at all, you're an enemy of God. Say, well, I don't have any animosity against God, but hear me, he does have against you. That has to be remedied, and you dare not step out of this life until it is. But God has given us a remedy, and that remedy was born, we don't know where, but he was laid in a manger. And he came, became one of us, permanently one of us. Jesus didn't just die and go back to his eternal existence as a spirit. He died and came back as one of us. And then he ascended into heaven as one of us. So that on the throne of God today, there is a man sitting, ever to intercede for people like us, sinners, who need to be rescued. What an incredibly weird story, isn't it? I want to end with one more weird story. You heard about the guy that turned into a chihuahua? That's a weird story. You heard that one? There was a guy who went to sleep one night, as the story goes, and God came to him in his sleep and says, listen, I need you to go somewhere with me. So it's, you know, the Lord, of course, whatever you want, Lord. And so he takes him traveling through space. And they come up to this planet. And the planet doesn't look bad, doesn't seem to be bad, but when God takes him down to the surface of the planet, it is a very bad place. It's an awful place. It's a planet that's inhabited by terrible dogs. Giant dogs, mean dogs, ferocious dogs, huge teeth, killing each other, destroying each other. Nothing but literally a dog-eat-dog world. And God pulls the man back off of the planet and he says, Do you see this world? Do you see these dogs? I love these dogs. In fact, I'm going to send you to tell these dogs the kind of love that I have for him. But in order for you to communicate to dogs, you're going to have to become a dog. But you don't get to become a Rottweiler or a Doberman or a German Shepherd. I'm going to send you there as a Chihuahua. 
and they're going to destroy you. And one more thing, you're going to remain a Chihuahua forever. Okay, that's a weird story, isn't it? Now that is, in, in a weird way, that is the story of what God has done for us. Destroying and killing, ravenous, not deserving of his love for us, certainly not deserving that he would take his one and only son to become one of us? Wow. Something less than 24 inches, something less than 10 pounds, laid in a manger in a little bitty community in the middle of nowhere. Such a weird story. Such a beautiful one. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Today we know that Jesus is the Savior because God made him that way. Yeah, he came to us like a chihuahua, but he'll forever be the Son of God. He'll forever be the one to whom we'll have to answer. Forever be the one who possesses the power to forgive or condemn. And it's up to us in this life to be rightly oriented to him. We definitely don't want to be on the wrong side of things. Because, yeah, God came to forgive us and to rescue us, which is so weird, but it won't forever be like that. See, in the future sometime, this one who came as this tiny baby is coming back as the king. And like I said, we dare not be caught on the wrong side of things when he does. Will you be ready to meet him? When he comes, will you be ready to meet him And when you step out of this life? See, if you're a sinner, and I know you are, then you're an enemy of God. And you need to be reconciled to him. And that is why God became a man, to reconcile us to himself. He died and paid the price for us, the, the sin and the death that he died, the, the horror that he paid for was our horror, that was our stuff, so that he could give us life. Have you accepted the life that God has for you? The forgiveness that God has for you? There's forgiveness in no one else, the scripture says. There's no other name given under heaven to men by which we must be saved. You must be saved. You cannot save yourself. Would you surrender yourself to the one who's become one of us, who did so many weird things to show us how greatly loved we are, how greatly desired we are to be in heaven with him? Place your faith in him today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this great weird story, amazing story, magnificent in so many ways that you would choose to do the things that you did the way you did it. So impressive, so awe-inspiring. Forgive us, God, where we've been caught up in the limelight of it, where we've romanticized it, Lord, we've turned it into something that has made it lose its real luster. Restore it in our hearts and minds and eyes today, we ask. Thank you so much, God that we can worship together on this special day where we remember the birth of your Son. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.